0: If, you, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I want to introduce myself. My name is Chris Yutke. I own a small business called Livewire Electric, um, and I serve here at uh, Epiphany Church as a minister in training. And I just want to say thank you and welcome for, uh, for coming here to Epiphany Church tonight. And we're going to pick up and, and really finish off our series on don't give up. We've covered the ground, right? We've, got, we've talked about not giving up on ourselves, and we've talked about not giving up on our dreams, and we've talked about just not giving up. But did you know that you were not made to give up? Did you know that you were not made to be home, hopeless? That may, these may be common experiences that we have, but that's not what we were made for. Did you know that you weren't made to experience death or loss or tears? Did you know that you weren't made to be depressed, overwhelmed, or stressed? Yet, it is our daily experience. We may not always verbalize it this way, but it is our daily experience in one way or another to give up on God. You may not even be a Christian. You may have been in the faith for 20 years. And yet, it is still this common reality that we all share. We all give up on God in All sorts of ways every day. And there's some basic reasons for this. So I'm going to list them. Three reasons that we give up on God. And I'll I'll, I'll give them and then we'll walk through them. First, we give up on God because God isn't moving according to our timeline. We give up on God because God isn't giving me what I want. And we give up on God because God isn't doing it the way I want. Right? Let's go back to this timeline piece. God isn't moving according to our timeline. There's a story in Genesis that I'm going to have the opportunity to preach through in a couple weeks about this character named Joseph. And, and his, his story is, is, is fascinating for a lot of reasons. But one of what happens is his brothers want to kill him. And instead they throw him in a pit and they sell him into slavery. And that's really not even the end of his story. There's a a bunch of other tragic events that happen in his life. and, And he ends up in this position where he is number two in command under Pharaoh in Egypt. And when I think about that human story, I think about... My own story of, of family members stabbing me in the back and walking away, right? The pain, the sorrow that you carry over that brokenness. I just imagine it was 22 years before Joseph reconnected with his family. I wonder if some of us, when we hear that, 22 years, God, why would you make me wait 22 years? We can't even wait for five minutes right, to cook a meal. Right? We're, we're impatient people. We want what we want when we want it. Or how about this other character in the Bible? This guy named Paul. Originally he was known as this guy named Saul. And he was going around in the name of God killing Christians. And one day on the road to Damascus, where he was planning to kill more Christians, Jesus showed up. And literally, Paul was, Saul was blinded by his vision of Jesus. And he became known as the Apostle Paul. But you know, did you know this? That from the, from the moment that, that Paul was saved, his first missionary journey, it was 14 years. God had to do some work in Paul's life to prepare him for all that he was going to use him for. So often, we struggle in our relationship with God. We struggle to relate to God because his timeline isn't ours. Scripture says that to God one day, is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day to God. God doesn't work according to our schedules. And we get really frustrated with the fact that He doesn't, and we don't understand why. We also give up on God because God isn't giving me what I want. There's this other character in the Scriptures, in the Bible, named Jonah. Some of you may be familiar with him as the guy that was eaten by the whale. Or swallowed by the whale. But but God told Jonah He wanted him to do something. He wanted him to go to this people called the Ninevites, and call them to repent. But Jonah didn't want What God wanted. He wanted God to judge the people of Nineveh. Do you know why? Because more than likely, the Ninevites had probably murdered and killed people in his own family. You ever feel like God is expecting something of you, wanting something to happen that you just don't want? How about God isn't doing it the way I want? There's this point in the life of Jesus as he's, His life is about to culminate at the cross. And He's in the garden and He's praying and He says, God, please take this cup from Me. But not My will, but Yours. And He still follows through with it. And yet, in that moment, He shows us a common human reality. There are things that we know that need to be done, but we don't like the way God wants to do it. Do you know the first person that ever gave up on God? You can can answer back. Who was the first person that ever gave up on God? Adam. Right? Adam and Eve. And it kind of follows this same formula, right? They're, they're in the garden, and they have this perfect relationship with God, and yet there's this one tree. The tree that we call the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve have a decision to make. They can either exist in the garden in relationship with God, Or they can go their own way and eat from that tree. They thought that they knew better than God himself what was best for them. Literally, they gave up on God because they thought they knew better. They thought they knew the best time. They thought they knew the best thing. And they thought they knew the best way. Right? And if if you didn't realize this yet, this problem is literally baked into our being. It's a tendency, a temptation, we carry with us everywhere we go. And if we don't begin to realize that there's this war that exists in us as even as Christians between our flesh and the Spirit, between who we've been made in Jesus and the way we are sinfully. We will marry our sinful desires to the things of God and ask Him to bless them. what happens we maintain our commitment to ourself and we're asking God to bless those things but what is God going to do is he going to just function according to what we want no right he doesn't and when he doesn't bless us what do we end up doing what where does this end up going we end up projecting our issues back onto God and blaming Him for our issues. Because we think that what we want is better than what God wants. We give up on God because we want Him to cosign our decisions, our hopes, our dreams, our desires even if God says no, because he knows we can't pay the debt. Let me say that again. We give up on God because we want him to co-sign our decisions, our hopes, our dreams, and our desires, even if God says no, because he knows we can't You are tempted, and I should say, when we are tempted, right? When we are tempted, because this is always our reality. There are, like Genesis says, that sin is crouching at the door, waiting to pounce. There is this conflict that exists in us all the time between following God and following ourselves. And when we are tempted to give up on God, it's because we're trying to be God. We want to take His crown. We we want to put it on our head. If you are tempted to give up on God, it's because you don't actually want to be in relationship with Him. We're so used to being in codependent relationships, right? Even as young Christians, we enter in a relationship with God expecting Him to overlook our issues as long as we go to church, give our money, we're nice to our neighbors. We do all the surfacy things that, that make it look like we're doing good. But underneath, there's a problem brewing that we don't want to deal with. But God doesn't work that way. You see, God has boundaries. He's got boundaries. And if you're going to thrive in a relationship with Him, He expects you to take ownership of your issues. stop projecting them onto him isn't that what we do when we give up on God it's just like we just had an argument with our spouse and we're all angry that it's not going my way and so we slam the doors and we walk out and we throw a big hissy fit and we're all frustrated because I couldn't win the argument Right? And we, we take all those relational habits and we carry them into our relationship with God. But God doesn't play that way. And if we're going to thrive in our relationship with God, we're going to have to learn some new relational habits. These habits will transform us and lead us to stability in our relationship with God. Will be able to more deeply trust him as he moves in our lives in ways we don't always understand, or maybe initially don't even agree with. So, how then, if this is a conflict that exists in us all the time, in every one of us, this war between the will of God and my own will, how do we stop? How do we stop giving up on God? And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time, is just talking about some basic relational habits that we all need to learn if we're going to be in a relationship with God in a healthy way. The first habit That you need to learn is surrender. Mitch, could you pull up that first verse? First Peter five five. God resists the proud. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We may think that we can use our manipulative tactics to get what we want from God. But God isn't going to play your games with. God resists the proud. If you think about that, we just talked about the resurrection uh, two weeks ago in our our midweek service, and the, the resurrection is this incredible picture, this incredible reality in which God himself, through Jesus, descends down into hell. He is consumed by death. And Scripture is clear that Satan's power over humanity exists because through sin there is death. Satan is able to create this separation, and it's a powerful weapon that exists in this world to this day. And when Jesus rises from the dead, he overcomes this powerful weapon of Satan and crushes it. There is no greater power than the power that is in God. If you think about that for a moment, when God, when the scriptures say God resists the proud, you think you're going to win that? Is that the side you want to be on? God resists the proud. And then 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We're seeing in these two verses so far that there's a way that we should enter into a relationship with God. And it is not coming with our, our normal relational habits of trying to win arguments and prove that we're right. It is a position of humility in which we surrender our knowledge, our expectations, our own desire for the way that we think things should go. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think one of the most important ways that we humble ourselves under God, one of the most important ways that we receive His grace is by being able to confess. To confess that I I may think this, but God, I'm willing to hear you, to listen to you, and to follow you. And then Proverbs 28, 13. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. one who conceals his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Surrender is when we lay down our arms and our war against God to decide who knows best. It's learning to agree with him even when I'm not sure that what he wants even makes sense to me. This isn't a posture that is natural to us, is it? Living on the street, we don't naturally take the posture of surrender. No, you you walk around with some confidence and your shoulders put back and you're staring people down because you're not going to get run over. Surrender may sound like something terrible then to you but let me just say that when you surrender to God you're not surrendering to somebody who's going to just own you and and use you and take advantage of you he loves you and what he says is good and it will benefit you amen surrender is not natural to people who feel like they have to do it all on As we surrender, there's another step that we take. And let me just say, surrender is a a daily habit you need to learn. A daily habit, a daily confession of your sin. There are sins in my life that literally, all I can do is like, God, it's just there. I confess it. God, I need you to show up and change me. Like I, I know I need to change, but I don't even have the strength and the power to do it. I promise you this, church. Just humbling yourself and saying I'm wrong to God invites grace into your life in ways that you can't even perceive. And He will show up in your life through that humility in ways that you're, you'll be surprised by. There will be habits in your life that, that were there at one point and then it's history. You're going to be a new person. You see, when we surrender, we're inviting the work of Jesus Christ into our lives. You know what Jesus is doing through his work, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection? You know what he's doing? He's returning us, he's returning us to like we were in the a relationship with god without fear without shame without insecurity you, you know the significance of the nakedness of adam and eve they had nothing to be afraid of they could be completely vulnerable to their god and they were because they were completely loved So, habit number one, surrender. Habit number two is learn. Let's look at some more scriptures. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desire. Kind of an interesting verse, isn't it? Like, we've been talking about how often our desires are at conflict or in conflict with God's desires. And in this verse, it seems like he's saying that if I delight in him, he'll give me my desires. And and there are people who would approach that scripture in that way. But here's what I would suggest to you. What happens to you and your desires when you begin to take delight in the Lord. Your desires change. In other words, there is a way out of this war that we experience at times with God. There is a way to move from being frustrated with God's work in our life when He doesn't show up the way that we want. There is a way that we can begin to see our circumstances the way that God sees them. And it is this. It is taking delight in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. We've shared this illustration from this pulpit before, but you know, let's use the illustration of a marriage. When you take delight in your wife and you know that she really likes roses, are you, are you really going to go, you know, get her a vase of, like, dead um, pansies? No. <laughs> I mean, some of you might. <laughs> no, when, when we delight in someone we begin to share in their desires. We begin to see what they want, and we want that because we know that it delights them. So how do we, how do we delight in the Lord? Right? So we we surrender by laying down our weapons in our relationship with God, and, and, and then it's completely possible that, that we can have our desires change as we delight in the Lord. And I'm going to go back to this passage of Scripture that Maria read at the beginning of our service, our call to worship. Psalm 19, 7-11. The instruction of the Lord is perfect renewing one's life the testimony of the lord is trustworthy making the inexperienced wise the precepts of the lord are right making the heart glad the command of the lord is radiant making the eyes light up the fear of the lord is pure enduring forever the ordinances of the lord are reliable and all together righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them. And in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. You know, I have gotten to know my wife over years of having conversations and working through problems. And it's no different in our relationship with God. If we want to learn who God is and we want to learn to take delight in Him, it starts right here, family. And it may not, you may feel like, where do I even start? How does the Bible help me not give up on God? You may not even know where to start in the Bible, and that's all right. Often it's one verse at a time. One verse. I, I don't care. You could just plop your Bible open like that. And I promise you that you're going to learn something. You're going to see something. And as we learn to listen to as we learn to see who God is and listen to him we begin to and we begin to want what he wants and then there's those moments where things happen in our lives they're unexpected we lose a job we've been longing for a spouse and why hasn't that happened god and you know i want a, i want a child but we, you haven't given us a child yet. Right? We may be in our addiction, battling, fighting, thinking, why is it still so hard to fight this battle? But As you continue to delight in the Lord, you begin to see that even if you don't understand, even if you don't know His timeline, even if you don't know what He's going to do, why or how or when, you know that what He's going to do is going to be good. And so you hold on. You hold on. You don't give up. Right? Like, if you're in a storm, in a boat, and there's a big storm, You know, that big storm rolls in. Are you going to go jump off the boat the first time the wave crashes over the bow? No, you stay in the boat, right? That's your safest place that you can be until that boat finally crumbles, if it does. I've got stories. (laughs) I understand if that feels vulnerable and kind of scary to say, God, I trust you. And it may be the smallest step that you take. God, I'm going to thank you for this meal. God, I'm going to go to church. God, I'm going to listen, you know... God, I'm going to listen to that radio station where I hear about you. And I promise you, over time, as you continue to move forward one step at a time, there's going to come a point where the most severe of circumstances won't test you. I mean, it will test you. But the temptation to give up on God and to run away would be a lot less. A lot less. So let's say out loud together these two habits. The first one is surrender. Surrender. And the second one is learn. learn. Amen. In time, we learn that we were not made to give up on God. Not because somebody said that it was bad. Not because you don't want to feel guilty. But because over time, you've learned that God always, only does what is good, right, and perfect in our lives. We accept his leading, his passions and desires, his timing, his wisdom, Because there is literally nothing that brings the joy, the satisfaction, the purpose, and the fulfillment like living in relationship with your God. Amen? Let's pray. God, to the person in this room who feels completely overwhelmed and inundated by life, and and maybe he's just grasping for straws and just decided to come here tonight on a whim. God, I pray that there would be that, that they would taste the, the water of living, the, the, the living water. That they could taste a little bit of satisfaction as they hear about you and how good you are. God, for those of us who Maybe you are a little bit further down the road, but keep dipping out. Keep stepping away. God, I pray that you would reach them, that you would convict them, that you would show them the error of their way, that they would humble themselves, that they would surrender, that they would enter back into a relationship with you. God, I I just think of the story of the prodigal son having wasted away all of his inheritance and literally homeless and, and hungry and full of shame. And he comes back and his dad accepts him back into the family and throws a party. God, I pray that we would be a church full of prodigal sons, people running back to you because we realize we have nothing else there's no hope anywhere else nothing that can give us the joy and the satisfaction of following you Lord I pray that you would fill our sails full of hope and joy and the knowledge of you help us keep going Lord help us not to give up ask this in Christ's name. Amen.